gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, and the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in, all the, pre in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or French rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of the faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you on this holiday weekend. I know a lot of people across the land, at least the southeast or the eastern coast, plans have probably changed. Uh, what they might have been doing on uh, Labor Day weekend. And we will keep those people in our prayers today and this coming week, and especially those who are responsible to be first responders who will have to go quickly in if the hurricane hits land to help others. So I do ask that you would ask our God to wrap his arms around those folk and, and be there. And for that matter, that God would help those who are trying to make a reasonable decision to know what to do. Because, you know, last night when I went to bed, the hurricane was heading one way, and this morning when I got up, it was, you know, being, looked like it was going a different way. So we'll keep them in our prayers. This Sunday for me is a little bit different than the Sundays when I came to you two years ago to supply for those several weeks or eight weeks. It's also different from just a few weeks ago when I came to supply one more time uh, before um, I would take this position. So today for me is the first day 
the first day as your priest in charge. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think it's important that some things are said. And I will then move on into the, to the homily for the morning. My work as a rector was fairly clear in that you knew that you'd been through a process. There'd been a search committee that had been formed. Um, they'd made a profile, talked to the people. A profile had been written up. I had access to that profile to read and study, to learn about what your expectations would have been, what you wanted in a priest. Now, it's very true that most, many, my, well, I'm going to say most, you could tear off a lot of the front covers and maybe the back cover, and what you'd wind up with was anybody. I've never seen any church that wanted somebody who couldn't preach or teach or administer or do pastoral care. <laughs> so there are a lot of similarities, but every parish has a unique quality about it. And even though I spent that time with you and got to know many of you on a somewhat superficial basis, and a few a little bit more, I do not have in my mind at this point what your dreams are for this place, what your particular ministry is within this place, or what kind of ministry you haven't yet done that you would like to do. So there's so much that I don't know about you. So that's a different way of entering into a congregation. Again, as a rector, you meet the search committee, you grill them, they grill you, you meet another group of people, you do it again, you have a chat with the vestry and on and on, and it's, it's a long process. You've known that, and I'm sure, whether it was from here or another parish. So again, this is different. And when you come in as an interim, you're, I like to say, I'm the warm-up act as an interim. Because all I'm really doing is just seeing where you are and finding out how did you feel, what did you like, what did you didn't like about the priest that was here, where the church was, where it might be going. So it's a lot of listening about that, but you have some information when you come in. Well, I'm not the rector and I'm not the interim. I'm a priest in charge which is best I can tell, may also be able to be said peculiar in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have in front of us is an opportunity with my being present to learn about your dreams, to learn more about who you are, to learn about your history, for some of you to share your stories of how long have you been here what does this place mean to you? Who, who in your part of your life that used to be here isn't here that you miss? A friend, a spouse, a child, a, a loved one. All your stories. Because those stories will in part become my story. And that makes me then a part of your story. So I'm hoping that we'll find some ways that we can talk and share and that we can do some leadership work so that we can discover what are these goals that we might have in the coming years. My time is more 
than being now the warm-up act. I'm a sort of a transition person, I guess you might say. And that to me is an exciting time because no matter what position we hold in any parish, it's always transition because we know it's gonna go somewhere different and it will not be the same in five years as it is today. So with that in mind, I want to share with you as I begin a little about, about myself in a little bit different way. And the reason I, and the way I'm gonna do that is to talk to you for a moment about my mom. Now my mother, I had to count it up again, I can't believe it, has actually been gone from this earth for 31 years. Um, she was a wonderful person. She was um, actually born in England uh, by accident. Her mother was English and wanted to go back to see her parents. And then when my grandmother got there, her doctor wouldn't let, mother, uh, wouldn't let my grandmother come back home. So mother was actually born in England. Um, so she was a naturalized citizen. My grandmother actually was a deacon uh, in the Episcopal Church, I mean, in the Anglican Church. Um, so there's a history there, okay? But really what I want to share with you is about the stole that I have on. You won't see this very often because your parish has such beautiful vestments and beautifully handmade and designed and it's such a gift. But I wore this today because my mother made this. And so in a way, it's like having her love wrapped around me. And she was so supportive of my going to seminary. She typed papers for me. She took care of children for me. She was right there. She was already a widow at the time of, of doing that. When this stole began, Mother had gotten active with her Methodist church. Mother didn't, grand, my mother, grew up as a Methodist, but then when she met my father, they couldn't afford to go to the, um, the gas ration tickets, and they couldn't go from where they lived into town to go to St. Luke's. So they went to the Methodist church. So she stayed a Methodist the rest of her life. But mother had been doing cross-stitch and all sorts of um, handwork, and she had very arthritic fingers, and if <laughs> She would, but that helped her to do some of this handwork. So she and I together designed this, this stole. And each one, it was meant to be an all-season stole. Well, this is the part of the stole that I will tell you about. This is um, the angel. It was for Epiphany. And my mother um, was not feeling well one night and she'd had a lot of pain, and the long and short of it is, my mother was working on this stole, and she had just begun to glossomer the wings of this angel. Her deal was at night, she would do her handwork, she would put it down beside her downstairs chair, she would go upstairs, roll up her hair, read her devotional, and go to bed. This was the last thing my mom did that night before doing the, you know, physical things. My mother never woke up again. She had a massive heart attack in the night, and that's how we found her the next day. 
one of my friends when they heard about the stole and it wasn't finished and they wanted to finish it. So I told them no, that, that I thought that these angel wings would be finished in heaven and they would be glossomered by our Lord's love. So that's part of my story. This used to be a bright white. It has now, someone said to me this morning, don't say it's yellowed, say it's mellowed. <laughs> I guess you could say my skin has mellowed as well. <laughs> but stories are important. And I hope you'll share your stories with me so that we can fill in a lot of things as we do our journey together. And that's what we're on. You know, a journey is when you start off, you know where you're starting, but you don't know where you're going. If you're taking a trip, you plot it out, you figure out where you're going to go, where you're going to stay, especially now with Google. I mean, you can plot your bathroom every 12 and a half miles if you have to, you know. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's, it's, a, it's a trip, and so you know you're going here and here. We're not on a trip. We don't know where God's going to lead us. We don't know where God's going to lead us individually and certainly not corporately. So that's part of the joy of doing what I do and you doing what you do is being part of this wonderful world of God. Now Jeremiah was trying to remind the people he was dealing with and they were an honorary lot at this point. Um, Jeremiah was called the sad prophet. But Jeremiah was an incredible man and he had a love of God that was so deep and so wide. And he had a love of the people, too. And what he looked around and saw was that the people had gotten so absorbed in themselves and what they thought they could do for themselves that they had forgotten the stories of their own salvation. They had forgotten what God had done for them. Now, my friends, this is a long time ago. He wrote, it's somewhere around 626 B.C., before Christ. That's a long time ago. And yet, when we look at it, so much of what he said is applicable to us today. And we need to hear it. Let me explain. Jerusalem had rain and it had drought. And so, when, if it was a drought... They had a big hard time doing anything, but they figured out a way, so they built the aqueducts. Now, some of you in here know a lot more about that than I, but I do understand that the aqueducts were built to bring the water, the rain, from one place to another. So then as the, as the water moved into the town, they then had places where they had cisterns. Now, a cistern is not a well. A cistern is a large volume container that holds water. And the water would come from the aqueduct into the cistern and then they could get the water and they could live a lot easier um, if there was a drought or obviously any other time, but certainly if it was a drought they had water. And they'd gotten very self-sufficient, so they thought. You know, we can take care of this ourselves. We don't need to pray for quail and, you know, manna from heaven. We don't need to hit a rock. 
like most, we, we can do this. We got it figured out, people. We have come a long way. <laughs> now, we don't do that sort of stuff, do we? We don't ever decide, well, you know, I don't really need God because we got this figured out. I mean, we got missiles to do this. We got this to do that. We got, a, you know, computers all over. We can do this. We're smart people. Well, what was happening, though, was the Babylonians were coming in and taking over. They were near about to conquer Jerusalem, and they were cutting off the access of the aqueducts. So when they couldn't get the water through the aqueducts, they discovered that what was happening was their cisterns had not been kept up, and they were cracked. Sounds like Atlanta's infrastructure, don't you think, <laughs> if you're familiar. So the water, the little bit that was still coming, when it came and go into the cisterns, it was going on to the ground. And the people were thirsty. And this is where Jeremiah uses this wonderful gift of God and these layers of understanding. So he talks to him about it. He says, you know, guys, you're so much more than just thirsty for water. You're thirsting for God because you've turned your back on him. You have turned your back on the God who brought you through the wilderness who provided all that was needed for you, who brought you to the land of milk and honey, who gave you the Ten Commandments, who did all of this for you. You have turned your back on him because you think you don't need him anymore. Jeremiah was desperate to get their attention. It's my sense that we are still those people who are a tad bit too full of ourselves sometimes. We don't necessarily get down on our knees anymore and beg for God's mercy, to beg for an end to the famines in this world, to the drought in places where people are literally dying, where children are literally dying because they don't have nourishment or they don't have water, or the water they do have is contaminated. We are those who thirst to be filled with the living water of God. So then the question is, and it's a hard question, do we even believe in living water anymore? I mean, what is that? What is living water? That's one of the most confusing phrases I've ever had and heard. I mean, theologically, I know what it means, but what is living water? Let me tell you what living water can be. Living water happens in my life sometimes when I go somewhere that I'm absolutely dreading going, whether it's to see someone that I know is in a bad place and I don't know if I have, I don't know them that well, I don't know if I can help them, but I need to be with them, and so I go. But I'm scared. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've had a friend that's in a bad place or ill, or, and, and, a, and especially people with dementia sometimes or Alzheimer's disease, and you don't know how to talk to them or somebody that's aphasic, and what are you going to do? And we can, feel all, we can feel discomfort about that. But over and over again, 
when I go and sit with the people and make my best effort at being with them, I don't leave there thirsty. I don't leave there scared. I leave there filled with something that must be living water because my soul has been watered. I was doing what God asked of me. And that was the part that was important, to do what God asked of us. It's not always success. I mean, I've had times when I left a room and thought, well, Doris, I sure am glad you thought you needed to do that. Because apparently you were the only one that thought that was going to be. But we do. We have to listen. We have to listen to God and let God give us what we need. Let me just conclude with this. Some of the ways that our scriptures today suggest that we can experience this living water. One of the ways is out of the gospel. Don't make ourselves more important than we should be. Don't go marching in and take the head spot. Go to the end of the table, the low spot. And if nobody comes and gets you, then enjoy your dinner. At least you got an invitation, right? What can it hurt? Entertain strangers. Person on the side of the road. The person in the grocery that can't quite reach that shelf up there. The person in front of you that's got two children trying to get the 400 coupons in order. Be kind. Be kind to strangers. It doesn't hurt us. God was kind to us when we were strangers to him, if we ever were, or at least in the spirit of that. Worship with humility. Come to worship wanting to be filled. Come to worship hungry to taste the living water. Expect something in a worship service. Bring your prayers of the week into that service and offer them to God. Be a person of prayer. Prayer has a way of feeding us. God has a way of entering into our prayers and turning those prayers to help us be better people and to solve problems we didn't even know we had. Be compassionate. Care about the people in prison. Care about people in prison as if you were one of them. There's a difference. Just to care and just say, oh, I care about the prisoners. We need to know about the prisoners. Then we care about the prisoners. This is the last thought. The letter to the Hebrews says this part we read today. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. In my reading of this, in my hearing of this, the word that stood out for such sacrifices. 
That means sometimes I'm supposed to sacrifice some of my time, my money, my talent for others. Sacrifice it. Give it away. It's not, and I have to share. Share what I have, even if it's a sacrifice to share. And you know what the greatest sacrifice that we share, what is the most sacrificial thing we share? That's our story of faith. Our story of what God has done in our lives. The story of what God has done in the world. We have to have almost a sacrificial spirit in this day and age to be willing to risk sharing our faith story. It's just not something that one does very easily anymore. Jeremiah was willing to risk it. Jeremiah was willing to call it up and say, people, tell the story. Remember the story. And in the spirit of Jeremiah, I say to you, be willing to sacrifice even a little bit of your pride or your fear. Tell your story. Somebody is out there is dying of thirst and they need to hear your story of living water. Amen.